Hi, I'm Mackenzie Fagan, filling in for Ashley Ford, and this is 112BK. Coming up, a Brooklyn-based film about the corrosiveness of colorism. But they will say, thank God you don't look like your dad, because if you did, you will look ugly. Or they will just call my dad, oh, your dad is an ugly man. And the only reason they said that is because my dad is very dark-skinned. Plus, the Bushwick Film Festival and its bloodthirsty lineup. It's sort of a, a magic realist story. Um, takes place in an alternate universe where vampires are um, being targeted. My skin is black. My arms are long. In August, there was an internet uproar over promotional photo for the movie Wreck-It Ralph 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet. The uproar didn't break the internet, but people were definitely upset that in the image, the skin tone of Princess Tiana, an African-American character in the animated sequel, was significantly lighter than it was in her previous role in The Princess and the Frog. Colorism. It's a problem not only in Hollywood, where men and women and animated characters of color experience disparate treatment and prejudice due to their skin tone, but also a serious issue in the wider African diaspora community. Concerned about the continued prevalence of the practice, a photographer, formerly from Brooklyn, decided to tackle this subject matter in a film. It's called Charcoal. To tell us more, we welcome the director, Francesca Andre, to 112BK. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Tell me a little bit about the film and why you decided to make it. Okay, so I decided to make Shoko because colorism is an issue that has affected me my entire life. From the time I was a little girl, I was very aware of my skin tone compared to people who were darker than me and people who were lighter than me. Also, I did not grow up with my dad, but people always make comments you know, in regards to his skin tone. They will say things that were very, very rude, that Thank God that I don't look like my dad, but I do look like my dad. But they will say, if you did, you will look ugly. Your dad is an ugly man. And the only reason they said that is because my dad is very dark-skinned. Mm. And it's just like, just as a child, the messages that have been conveyed to me in terms of beauty and growing up seeing music, watching music videos and only seeing women who are very light or who have, you know, long hair. And I decided that I wanted to make a film that will inspire women, uplift women, in women who have dealt with colorism, women who continue to deal with colorism, and that's kind of like how the idea came about. So Shoko show two women how they kind of like navigate through colorism and going through that pain and also redemption, They're learning to love themselves, learning to accept themselves. So the film is not only about like dealing with pain, but also getting to that point which is acceptance, which is mm -hmm. self-love. And there's a scene in the film where one of the women uses a bleaching product. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Can yes. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with that or what you've seen? I've never used bleaching creams before, but I've seen it my entire life. Mm -hmm. Women just bleaching the skin. Also, when I came here, I was only 14 years old. And when I went back, I was 17. I went back to Haiti. And the reaction from adults said, oh, I thought you were going to be lighter. Because the idea of going to America means that you're going to come with longer hair and your skin is going to get lighter because it's, it's like it's cold here. Uh, but it's something I've seen. I've also been in the presence of women who are pregnant, who pretty much praying for their children not to come out dark or they will just start drinking seriously or tea that they think will cleanse the child from coming out too dark and also carrot juice, anything pretty much to make the child come out a little lighter. 
think we so often have a very narrow view of racism Mm -hmm. as against communities of color by white people. Mm -hmm. But internalized racism is so prevalent. And my family, my mom is Chinese. Mm -hmm. Also, the idea of fairness is, you know, highly prized and whitening creams and making sure that you cover yourself up Mm -hmm. from the sun. And if you're too dark, you're a peasant. But talk to me about how this manifests in Hollywood as well and in representation that we see on screen. Even when you look at like the magazines, you know, when you look at commercials or you look at print ads, a lot of times it's usually there's a lack of representation. And I think this is one way that we can remedy this problem is really to make sure that there's enough diversity. And not only diversity in terms of like, okay, watching this commercial, the girl has curly hair, she looks mixed, but to really show that, you know, every woman from different you is represented. Mm-hmm. Several celebrities have come out and talk about not feeling that their beauty has been represented or properly represented in media, in mainstream media. When Lupita came out, a lot of people were like, oh, she's pretty for a dark-skinned girl. When we see Viola Davis, That's right. mm-hmm. uh, just not seeing enough women who look like her in film, print, and television. Right. And I want to talk to you a little bit about casting for this process. Mm-hmm. Tell me about the making of the film, which we shot mostly in Brooklyn. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yes, that's correct. Talk to me about how you went through casting to find the actors who you needed. So both of the lead actresses, I've worked with them before. Laurie Francois is a friend of mine. And then Shengu Kabo, I've worked with her before in a play. So I reached out to her. I sent her the text. And she was the voice. She felt it. She has experienced it before. She knew what the issue was about. And she felt comfortable playing that role. And we went and we created the film. And what was it like filming in Brooklyn? I thought it was great. I've lived here before for several years. And also it's in terms of location for the actresses, it's just kind of like, it's easier versus having them come to Connecticut or going somewhere else. Like Brooklyn is just like the central place anyone can get to Brooklyn basically. And for people who are interested in seeing this film, where do they go? The film is still in film festivals. The next screening is going to be in November at the Smithsonian. So November 10th, the program is not listed yet, but this is the next festival if the people are around. And I think this is about it for the rest of the year. I don't have the list of festivals for next year yet, but they can go on my website, franciscaandrephotography.com, franciscaandrephotography.com. <laughs> and if they click on film, they will be able to see all the past interviews, past screening, and articles about the film. You can watch the trailer, and then I can keep them updated when the next screening is happening. And what has the reaction to the film been like? What have you been hearing from audiences? The focus has been a lot on racism. A lot of people have dealt with colorism, haven't, didn't even realize that they have experienced colorism, that they've been victims of colorism. So this is a film that brought light to that issue and just pretty much just spark conversation. Here when women who dealt with it, women who are not from my country, women from different parts of the world, it's not only in the African diaspora, it's everywhere that have been told that, oh, don't go play in the sun, because if you play in the sun, you'll be darker. Well, thank you so much for your work and for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Listen, I have never killed a human. I've never even tasted human blood. I promise. I was living on synth blood until they started using it to bait us. What are you living on now? Animal blood. 
but I try to be sustainable about it. The Bushwick Film Festival celebrates its 11th year, starting Wednesday, October 10th. And the opening night film is a mix of many shorts packaged as one and exploring the theme of unconditional love in the evolving landscape that is Bushwick. We're happy to have with us Kwebe Koti, founder and CEO of the festival. Thanks, Thanks so much for, for joining me. And we also have the director of one of the chapters of the opening night film, Bushwick Beats. Her offering is titled Love Trumps Hate about bloodsuckers. No, not our president. I'm talking about <laughs> vampires. Sinjui Sinha, welcome to 112BK. Thank you. So Kwebe, I want to talk a little bit about the importance of the Bushwick Film Festival. Obviously, New York has a lot of different offerings, including the New York Film Festival, which is going on right now. Why was it important for you to establish the Bushwick Film Festival, and how does it differentiate itself in a crowded playing field? Yeah, you know, I think it's really important for women to be in positions that can create spaces for diverse voices. And although the landscape is crowded, there are not that many festivals directed by women, especially in a neighborhood like Bushwick, where I've been living there for 12 years. It's kind of exciting to create a space that brings different types of people together in one place. Bushwick is a neighborhood that's going through a lot of changes. So to create something like a film festival in the arts has always been a catalyst to bring people together. It's exciting to be, you know, a space that does something like that. In terms of, you know, I love the New York Film Festival and I love the Tribeca, I love all the film festivals. But, you know, Bushwick is homegrown and it comes from someone that didn't really have like myself or me (laughs) who didn't really have that many resources so it sort of speaks to the power of or not the power speaks to what independent film is about like making the most out of what you have and sort of pulling something out of the hat so the festival has that history against all odds a little bit DIY Mm -hmm. basically and do you program the festival as well I used to in the beginning I used to do everything (laughs) DIY yeah but this year we had a great programmers. We had 1,300 films submitted to the festival this year, and we had 20 programmers and screeners, and we have a director of programming. His name is Joseph Wilworth, and he worked with all of the screeners to watch all of those films. I watched literally uh, 75 to 80 feature films. I was assigned that, and I even thought that it was a little bit overwhelming, but in the beginning, we had like 30 films, and I watched all of them, Um, but luckily, we've grown as a festival and as a team, so we have, it's quite an operation watching all those films. Absolutely. (laughs) And so you mentioned Bushwick is very much a neighborhood in transition. And I think the recent uh, victory of Julia Salazar over an establishment incumbent is a great example of that. Was that in your mind at all as you were programming? And, And how does the festival sort of reflect this idea of a neighborhood that's in flux? Yeah, I mean, the neighborhood is always in my mind. I'm on the community board. I'm the co-chair of the Arts and Culture Committee. And when I first moved to Bushwick 12 years ago, I was also one of those people that moved in and was like, I'm going to do my own thing and not really, like, engage, you know. But as I got older and understood what it meant to actually engage with the community at large, I joined the community board. I started reaching out to, like, our council members. So when I think about the program and the films that we choose to screen in front of an audience, we make sure that the stories that we're selecting can actually, you know, reflect the community of Brooklyn and has uh, someone, has a story for everyone. And that's why we completely fell in love with Bushwick Beats. You know, the moment we saw the film and we saw all the six different directors that were all from different backgrounds and the stories that were reflected on the screen, we were just like, we have to have the film at the festival, and it also is shot in Bushwick. It seems tailor-made for the festival. So I'd love to hear a little bit about the film. It's an anthology Mm -hmm. of six short films that are woven together into one feature. 
Yeah, well, actually, it's six different filmmakers, six writer-directors, and it's six different individual short films that are put together, but all around the subject of, of love stories in Bushwick and unconditional love in Bushwick. And mine is called Love Trumps Hate, which is a story. It's sort of a, a magic realist story. It takes place in an alternate universe where vampires are being targeted, and it's a military state, and vampires are being targeted and pushed out of the country. And the inspiration sort of came from currently what's going on in our country with the separation of families and specifically one event where uh, last year an Indian man was shot in a bar. Somebody just, uh, a gunman came up to him and said, get out of this country and shot him. So it's sort of taking these like real events and what's happening is really interesting to me. But then infusing it with magic and sort of looking at it from another lens. So I set it in this alternate universe where vampires exist, and it's a story about a vampire who's sort of surviving on the outskirts and in the shadows, and she happens to go into a bar and fall in love, and it's a, it's a love story. It's an LGBT love story. So, yeah, so it's, it's all about sort of looking at the issues now, but from a new lens and through and the lens to... of, of vampires specifically. Exactly. And there's another film that is in the lineup called Hairwolf. Hairwolf, yes. And that was a short that premiered at Sundance. So, is there a bit of a supernatural <laughs> vein running through this? We're here in October, or is that completely accidental? <laughs> well, you know, for those horror film fans, we definitely have a lot of films in the program that would speak, would, you would be excited about. But um, I think that Hairwolf and films like Love Trump's Hate, it all is, they're just stories that are reflecting what we're experiencing now as a, as a community or as a community of color and as the LGBTQ community. You go and you see that story on screen so you can understand that, like, you're not the only one and it makes you connect to the times. I right. Guess. And Hairwolf yeah. is the story of a black barbershop, right, where a white gentrifier walks in and wants braids. Yeah. My understanding. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited for Hairwolf. Yeah. 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 Sanjuri, what else are you excited to see at the festival? I'm just excited to see all the shorts you were just mentioning. You have 85 yeah. shorts, and I think you know nailing a good short is is hard. And yeah, I'm so I'm excited to see some of the short films at the festival, and then of course the opening night event and seeing all of our films together. We haven't really seen it together <laughs> oh, in a, really? in oh, a theater, so it's going to be super exciting to see it come together. And yeah. and the fact that we shot it in Bushwick, I think it, it's nice to bring the film home and sort of like see it in the neighborhood Hometown where audience, yeah. Well, the, the people were characters. Oh my god, um, yeah. I love, I mean, I, we can go on and on about this, but um, opening night is going to be super exciting. We are at House of Yes, and it's going to be sponsored by Spectrum. And a lot of the actors are coming from Bushwick Beats. I know Brick is going to be there because you guys support us every year. So it's going to be fun. And Kwebe, tell us how we can get tickets, learn more about the festival, see the lineup. You can go to our website, bushwickfilmfestival.com. Unfortunately, Bushwick Beats is sold out. <laughs> but we have a second screening for Bushwick Beats on Sunday. So if you can't catch the opening night, you can go see it on Sunday. The festival is October 10th to the 14th. About 100 films, parties, lots of sponsors. B&H, Brick is one of our partners. Brugal 1888 for drinks. You know, it's, it's a lot happening. So it's been a lot of growth, and I love the support that we've been able to garner over the years. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much for joining me, and we look forward to learning more about the festival. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Yeah.
And now some news. The 300,000-plus immigrants residing in the United States under Temporary Protected Status, or TPS, which includes thousands of New Yorkers, got a reprieve on Wednesday when a California judge placed an injunction on their removal. The individuals here from war or natural disaster-torn countries like Sudan, Haiti, and El Salvador were set to lose their status on November 2nd by order of the Trump administration, which had said the program was no longer necessary. But advocates argued the move by Trump was part of a predetermined plan driven by racial animus. The ruling by the judge says no action can be taken on removals until a lawsuit against the administration has run its course. The plan for the Rikers Island jail complex closure has been receiving some pushback, particularly from communities who reside in the areas where the new jails are to be located. There was a rally in the Bronx on Wednesday where the sentiment, no new jails, was punctuated by a young boy who took the mic and said, quote, My name is Carlos, and I feel like you're building this jail for me when I grow up. The plan for a new Brooklyn jail has also received pushback. City officials have said they wish to demolish the current jail bordering Borham Hill and replace it with a facility that has nearly twice the capacity. Now, an update on a segment we did a couple of weeks back about the NYPD 12, a group of whistleblower cops featured in the documentary Crime and Punishment, co-produced by woman to bk producer Ross Tuttle. It was reported earlier this week that one of the officers featured in the film, Sergeant Edwin Raymond, is being denied promotion to lieutenant. He believes because of his opposition to broken windows policing, his support for blackballed NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick, and for being outspoken in the film and elsewhere against illegal illegal quotas for arrests and summonses. The question of quotas is the subject of the film and a lawsuit filed by the NYPD 12 against the department. Promotions in the NYPD are based mostly on test scores, and Raymond placed number 26 out of 1,325 on the lieutenant exam. A press conference is scheduled for Friday on the steps of City Hall with City Councilmember Jumani Williams, actor Malik Yoba, and Sergeant Raymond, among others. It will begin at 10.30 a.m. And earlier this week, a Williamsburg house cleaner was found passed out drunk in the home she was supposed to have been cleaning. The homeowner took to Facebook to express her displeasure, saying she, quote, didn't clean a thing, just drank up all my liquor and fucked up my home. The the incident left some speculating whether this might have been an audition on the part of the cleaner for Supreme Court qualification. And that's the show for today. Tune in next week when Ashley will be back and joined by Congresswoman Yvette Clark to discuss the Kavanaugh imbroglio. 112BK is hosted by Ashley Ford, except when she's off getting married. Congratulations, Ashley. So for the next couple of weeks, it will be hosted by me, Mackenzie Fagan. It is written and produced by Ross Tuttle, also produced by Fred Brown, Shireen Barhi, Isabella Cantara, Ariana Rosas, Naeem Van, Kritzi Roberts, and Emily Bogosian. It is recorded by Clinton Filson Jr., Eric Hagaseg, and Antonio M. Rosario. And it is edited by Mira Al-Rahim and executive produced by Aziz Aisham, Jonathan Leaf, and Sasha Mathias.